This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. If you are a guest with us, again, I want to say welcome to Harvest. We are a family of Christ followers. And we follow Jesus with all our hearts, and the Lord just kind of brought us together, and we realized that we're stronger together than we are individually. So we linked arms, we linked arms to fulfill God's purposes in the earth. Amen? And so, as you heard, we meet weekly in, uh, in community groups, small groups throughout the week, and we have multiple groups that, as you heard, meet every day but, but Wednesday at the moment. And, uh, but we still love, Sunday is a time that all of our community, the community of Harvest comes together to worship together corporately. And so how many of you love being able to come together and see each other face-to-face on Sunday morning, be able to worship the Lord together? So, uh, so as I said, we are just a small expression of the body of Christ. Amen. Here at Harvest, we are a small expression of body of Christ, just like Hope Baptist right here. We just speak blessing over them in Jesus' name, and Great Commission right over here, and Brookside right over here. We are all part of the body of Christ together, amen? Here at Harvest, we have decided, you know, we, we love God and we love people, and so because of that, we serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. It's the least that we can do, right, because of all that he has done for us. And so if you're part of the Harvest family, just say it with us. What is the vision of Harvest? It is to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in this life. Amen? And how do we do that? Through community, discipleship, and outreach. We foster those three things to grow, equip, and make disciples followers of Jesus. And let me tell you guys, I love hearing over the last few weeks the people who you are leading to Christ. And I, I was just thinking, guys, in this vision that the Lord has given us, that is one of the primary metrics to knowing whether or not we are fulfilling the vision that God has given us. How many people are coming to Jesus? Amen? <laughs> You're right, it is quiet in here, Zach. It is one of the primary metrics to know whether or not we're fulfilling God's purpose. How many people are coming to Jesus? <laughs> disciples reproduce disciples. Amen? And as a family, if we are growing and being equipped, then we are making growing and equipping more followers of Jesus. So over the last few months, we've been talking about identity, right? We've been talking about our responsibility in the family of God. Who is in the family of God? People who have repented, turned from their old life, surrendered to Jesus, made him Lord and following him. Amen? And as I've said the last couple of months, this is vitally important because I think much of the body of Christ, many, we, we just simply don't know who we are. We don't get it. We've settled for an ordinary mundane life and that's not what God has called us to. And we know that when we don't know who we are, this affects how we act and how we react in the situations that we encounter in this life. And the world is changing. But God's word never changes. And I don't care what you've been told. Oh, it's an old book. It was written a long time ago. It was applicable back then. No, it never changes. It has the answer to everything that you'll encounter in this life. It has the answer to every doubt that you ever had in your mind. The Word of God has it all. Amen? So if we're going to fulfill our God-given purpose in this life, there's some things we need to know. We better have God's Word written on the tablets of our hearts. So we're spending this year 
Very simply discussing the practicalities of the Christian life. Again, because we have been given all the answers. Don't you love being given all the answers to the test? (laughs) If there is a test, it is this life. And God gave us a book with every answer. It's all filled in, every blank. Several weeks ago, we started discussing the Sermon on the Mount. Where else should we start than the first instance we see in Scripture of Jesus teaching his disciples? And so the Sermon on the Mount started, uh, like I say, Jesus' ministry was just getting going. You look there in Matthew 5, and, and it's the crowd. He's first starting to get the people's attention. Crowds are beginning to gather. And so he gets up this one morning, and as we read at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, it seems that he slips away from the crowd for just a little while, and the disciples go with him. He goes up on this hillside, and they gather around him, right? And he begins to speak. And he begins by giving us what we talked about a few weeks ago. He begins by giving us the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes tell us the importance of hearing the Word of God, but also the importance of being a doer of the Word of God, right? Teaches us about our relationship with God. Teaches about our relationship with others. And then the next week, two weeks ago, um, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I don't remember, we talked about how when we sin, we don't fall out of relationship with God. We fall out of fellowship with God. I gave the example of when the mother who says, don't eat any cookies before dinner. And she comes in right before dinner and sees her son eating cookies. She's like, get to your room until dinner time. And when he comes back to the table, is he any less a son? No. He hasn't apologized yet. Mom's kind of miffed. He's ashamed. Is he still a son? He's still a son. But there's been a breakdown in fellowship. What restores that fellowship? Mom, I'm sorry. I messed up. Right? Repentance restores fellowship. The air begins to clear. The awkwardness begins to go, right? And so in this, Jesus calls us to a life of relationship and fellowship with God. And he calls us to be salt and light. We are to bring the flavor of God to every situation that we encounter in this earth, in our world. We, we need to keep our flavor by staying close to the Father and staying in the Word. And I wanted to mention real quick, I don't know if they're here this morning, but yes, Chrissy's here. Chrissy, right after service two weeks ago, she came up as a, as a nurse. She comes up and goes, do you know what low sodium does to the human body? Lack of salt does in the human body? And I was like, no, actually, I have no idea. I have no problem with that. I eat salt all the time. I salt everything, even if it's been salted twice. No, no, I have no idea. I've never had that issue. And she tells me, and I was like, wow. I said, text that to me. And so she texted me. And she said, symptoms of low sodium levels in humans, in the, in the natural. Headache, confusion, stupor, just apathy, lethargy, seizures, and coma. She said, I can also tell you from experience that people with low sodium get combative. Y'all seeing this? I looked a little further. I, I read a little bit more. Loss of energy, drowsiness, Fatigue, restlessness, irritability, weakness, muscle spasms, cramps. Anybody getting this? Guys, the natural always parallels the spiritual. Does this not sound like much of the body of Christ? Moving on. We're called to be salt and light. We need to remain full of flavor, full of salt. And through this, we're called to be the light of the world, shining the love and the grace and mercy of Jesus on all the world. 
Last week, Pastor Bob continued, talked about how Jesus came and he fulfilled every part of the law. Anybody say, thank you, Jesus. Even those overlooked areas that we don't think about, Jesus fulfilled it all. He talked about how to be great in the kingdom and how our actions and even our thoughts declare our declaration or lack thereof for God. Amen? He also discussed walking in wisdom in the world, especially toward unbelievers. Guys, if you notice, everything we're talking about, everything we're talking about right now starts on the inside, and if it's not dealt with, it manifests on the outside. And that's what we're continuing with today. It's really what chapter 5 is, is, is all about. Remember, Pastor Bob talked about how inward sin, talked about inward sin and outward sin, as he called it. And so we're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you've got a Bible with us, turn to Matthew chapter 5. It'll be on the screen. You also can use the YouVersion Bible app. But, uh, but we're going, starting in verse, the next verse we're on is verse 27. And in verse 27, that's where we're starting. The next five verses that follow are really referencing back to the seventh commandment. What was the seventh commandment, guys? We need some Sunday school. <laughs> Thou shalt not. <laughs> Lie, murder. <laughs> commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And that's what Jesus says. Exactly what he says in Matthew 5, verse 7. You have heard it said. Where did they hear it said? Commandment number 7. Okay? He's referencing back to the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. So, just like when Pastor Bob was talking about, remember he was talking about anger and murder last week? We're going into the next example here. When Jesus mentioned adultery, the disciples had a picture in their mind of what adultery was, right? When we think of adultery, you think of two people where at least one is married, having sexual relations, uh, in secret, you know, right? Trying to hide it. That's, that's what we think of when we think about adultery. And so Jesus begins to point out what adultery really is in verse 27 and where it begins. And this this is the point. Guys, this is really the point of the rest of, of chapter 5. And so, let me mention, I, guys, I spent, I spent hours pursuing this and, and, and even the meaning and the depth of what Jesus was saying here in adultery. And there's much more to it than, than it appears. But here's the thing with Jesus. Jesus has a way of quickly getting to the heart of the matter, doesn't he? Very quickly. And what, so, so the question is, what is he communicating in the verses that follow? And so, I'm going to give you two things. I'm going to give you two things today. The first thing I want to mention, like I say, I've already said this, it's kind of a repeat, but I want to spend some time on it. The root of outward sin can always be found inward. The root of outward sin can always be found inward. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. What's he say next in verse 28? He says, but I say to you, He's, quick, he's quoting the Ten Commandments before this. He goes, but here's what I say. I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. The brother just took it to the next level, right? Adultery begins inward with the thoughts, not with the outward deed that we generally think of when somebody mentions adultery, I don't think anybody ever got married and on that first day on their honeymoon is going, hmm, who can I commit adultery with today? 
It's not generally the way it works, right? Nobody who, no, no, nobody who committed adultery just committed adultery one day. Just not the way it works. And with that in mind, alarms always go off in my head. How many of you, sometimes when somebody says something, alarms go off in your head. You're like, mm, what? Alarms go off in my head when somebody comes to us for counseling and says, my spouse of 20 years just had an affair, and I was completely taken by surprise. No idea in the world. How could he do such a thing? And I, I generally stop, and I go, no idea in the world after 20 years? No, none? You had, you had nothing? Nothing? There were no clues, no, no little nagging thoughts in the back of your mind? You, you never had this thought that something was off. He wasn't constantly hiding his phone and his computer and whatever else and getting calls at weird times or wondering where he was. Nothing? Nothing? I'm not saying there's not an exception now and then, okay? I could be somebody who was just brilliant enough to completely pull the wool over our eyes, but I don't believe that's the case 95, 98% of the time. More often, what happens is a spouse comes to us and tells us, I found out my spouse is having an affair, and I knew something was off. There was something in the back of my mind. There was something that was nagging at me. We hadn't been connecting in a long time. I knew something was wrong. And a lot of times they'll even say, and I hoped it wasn't this. Because it starts on the inside and it festers. It starts with thoughts. And thoughts will always manifest on the outside. Your spouse with whom you had this great godly marriage did not suddenly decide one day to commit adultery. It's not the way it works. It started inward with thoughts, with lust. But it didn't stop there. They kept entertaining thoughts, right? And the enemy used those thoughts and kept bringing them up and taking advantage of them. And next thing you know, what was happening inwardly began to manifest outwardly. It all starts with the thoughts, with the heart. Jesus said, whoever looks at a woman to lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now let me say, he didn't say whoever looks at a woman is in sin, right? It's not like I can't look this direction because there's a woman over there, right? Hopefully it's not that bad for me, right? If that's you and you got to put little blinders on your eyes, do what you got to do. But he didn't say it's wrong to set your eyes upon a woman, gentlemen. He didn't say that. He said it's wrong to look at a woman and lust for her. So it goes back to the question is, what is the thought? What is the intention? What is the motivation of the heart? Jesus getting to the heart of the matter, right? And understand too, looking to lust, women can deal with that too, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's more natural, well, I don't like using the word natural, but it's more often going to be men, right? Because men are more driven and visually driven and, and simulated than, than women are. 
So Jesus is saying, if you look to lust, you've already committed adultery with the person in your heart. So Jesus is saying that God sees the, the, the thought and the act as adultery. It's a process. It may not have manifest on the outside yet, but it can certainly be on the inside. And another thing I thought of in this is Jesus, what, what he said, he didn't say, now looking to lust is just as bad as committing adultery. It's not what he said. He said you have committed adultery if you look to lust. As we discussed, it's the same with anger, bitterness, and murder, right? You know what we talked about last week? So what's in our heart is so important, and that's what Jesus is shining a light on for the rest of chapter 5. And we'll come back to that in just a second. But so the root of outward sin can always be found inward. Second thing I want to mention to you today, obviously, we must deal with inward sin before it becomes outward sin. We have to deal with inward sin. So what does Jesus say next? He's accomplished this. He says, if you look upon a woman to lust after you've already committed adultery with her. What's he say? The next, very next thing he says, verse 29, and guys, look at it. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. Must not be anybody in here. I don't see any one-eyed folks. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members, member of your body, should perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you, profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And by the way, guys, I don't believe because you entertain a thought of lust. I don't believe that means you're going to hell as a follower of Jesus. Okay? I don't, I don't believe that's what he's saying right here. If that's the case, then most of us guys are guilty at some point and there's no hope. Right? Right? Nobody can be honest. The word hell can also be translated judgment and a few other things right here. But how many of you know that even as a Christ follower, even when you repent, you will still suffer the consequences of your actions? right? Sometimes you can make things better through your repentance and making things right, but you're still going to suffer the consequences of your actions, right? God forgives you, separates himself, himself from it as far as east is from the west, buries it in the sea of forgetfulness, amen. You still suffer the consequences of it, right? You, our decisions can make life hell. Anybody been there? If, you're sin, if you sin, or especially if you live in sin, things won't go well for you. So I think he's basically saying here that if you don't deal with the heart, if you don't deal with those little things, those overlooked things, it can lead to your whole life being led into outward sin, which is much more destructive. There will be many more consequences when the sin becomes outward. But it's still sin, Right? So in verse 28, he says, whoever looks at a woman to lust. What do we look with? Our eyes. So our eyes in verse 29, I believe, are talking about inward sin. And then in verse 30, he discusses the hands. If your hand calls you to sin, cut it off and cast away. I believe the hands are referring to outward sin. You got the inward sin, and then the hands is the manifestation of those outward sins that have come forth. Does that make sense? Now, 
I don't think Jesus is saying to go pluck your eye out, okay? I, I think most of you agree with me because, like I said, we don't have any one-eyed people here. No offense if you are. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. <laughs> How many of you, guys, I, I don't believe you're saying to pluck your eye out, and I'll tell you why. If you pluck your eye out, you can still lust with your other eye. And let me tell you what, a blind person can be just as filled with lust as a person with two eyes with 20-20 vision. So I don't believe that he's saying something literal here and saying go pluck your eyes out if you have an inappropriate thought that you entertain a little too long. Okay? I, believe, I don't believe what he's saying is untrue. I just believe he's communicating something deeper. So he's saying, I believe what he's saying here is that we should be just as quick to deal with to confess, to repent, to ask forgiveness for committing inward sins as we would if it were an outward sin. We should take it just as seriously. Most Christ followers who have committed adultery, they know they've done something wrong. And hopefully they see the value in repentance and restoration. I know many people that have committed adultery and they went straight to their knees and said, oh God, what have I done? Right? But how often do we walk around with lust or anger in our hearts? And we just brush it under the rug rather than dealing with it because I hadn't committed adultery. Right? I hadn't killed anybody. I don't need to deal with that attitude. We brush it under the rug. Right? We don't look at it the same. We tend to put inward, we don't tend to put inward and outward sins on the same level. But Jesus does. He does. And he knows that permitting inward sin is a slippery slope. It's a destructive slope. So the next time you get angry at somebody filled with anger and bitterness and hatred, just picture it in your mind. In your mind, pull out a gun and shoot them in the head. It's murder. Some of you are like, I like that. No, The inward and the outward sins are just as bad, but it's much better if we can deal with inward sins before they become outward sins. Because as I said, they're much more destructive. And let me say this too. I mentioned this last year when we were going through the story. I think part of what Jesus is doing here is he's leveling the playing field. I think he's talking to folks, especially some of the religious folks, and they're going, hmm, I'm good with the law. I hadn't committed adultery. And Jesus goes, uh-huh. Well, I say to you, if you've even thought it, then you've already committed it. What? I think he's leveling the playing field. He's saying that doesn't mean that you've kept the law and you don't need a savior. Right? Even if you thought it, you're guilty. And notice too in this, he doesn't say that if your eye causes you to sin or your hand causes you to sin, he doesn't say to go to your neighbor and say, neighbor, pluck out my eye or neighbor, cut off my hands. It caused me to sin. He says, pluck out your own eye. Cut off your own hands. It's part of that self-examination the New Testament is so fond of. It's really an inward judgment. I don't mean judgment in a bad way, but I'm talking about judging our thoughts and our motives and our intentions, right? And making a change, seeing if they line up with Father and bringing 
a change. It's being responsible for yourself in the kingdom where you look and you see, wow, why have I been dwelling on this? I can't go there. I have to deal with it, right? So Jesus is pointing out that when you have an evil thought and you begin to meditate on it, you need to cast it out, these thoughts, these inward things before they become inward sins. How many of you know thoughts will come? They will. The enemy will attack. You will be tempted, right? But here's the thing. You don't have to receive his thoughts. You're the one that chooses whether you receive them or not. You'll be tempted, but if you cast that temptation away, you don't have to live with guilt that you've sinned because you haven't. Some people get eaten up with guilt because some temptation comes to them. If I was truly following God, that temptation wouldn't be there. No, no, that's, that's not true. Cast down that thought. Cast down that temptation. Catch yourself. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Replace that thought with God's word. Y'all know 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. Uh, how many of you are thankful that the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. They are not fleshly. They are not of this world. They are not of this earthly realm. But our weapons that we've been given by God are mighty for, in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself, every high fault that we've exalted above the word of God, the knowledge of God, bringing what? Every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Thoughts will come. But you have been given the power and the authority to take those thoughts captive and cast them down. That is plucking out your eye, whatever it is that's causing you to sin, that could cause you to sin, cutting off your hands and casting them from you. And then we move on to verse 31. And in verse 31, it almost seems like Jesus is changing directions. But really, he's not. You know what the first clue is? The first word. Furthermore. Furthermore. What does that mean? In addition to what I'm saying, right? Let me say this. Okay? And he goes on to verse 31. He says, furthermore, in addition to that, it's been said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Divorce papers. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. Does that confuse anybody? And whoever marries a, divorce, a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, we look at verse 31 and it kind of makes sense. Whoever wants to divorce their wife, deliver them divorce papers. Deuteronomy 28 says, and send her out of your house. We, we get that part, right? But then verse 32 doesn't make sense in the traditional sense. Because we've still got that idea of what adultery is. Right? We still have that, that thought of what adultery is in our society. Whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. Did she commit adultery according to the world's definition? Doesn't look that way to me, right? And then it says, whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Has this man committed adultery as we know it and define it in the physical? 
I guess it depends on your perspective just a little bit, but I think most of us would say no. I would present to you again that Jesus is not talking about the outward manifestation, the outward sin of adultery. He's talking about something deeper. So like Jesus, like, like I said, Jesus now, it looks like he's focusing on divorce, but, but he's not really here. It's still about how Jesus defines adultery and how he defines this inward sin. Jesus has defined what adultery is and how to get rid of it. And in these verses, he brings up divorce, but he's still talking about this inward sin. So let's talk about divorce for a minute. Why does Jesus bring up the topic of divorce. I think the main reason is the disciples and the people that day were in the dark about, about it, about God's view on it. Because let me, let me show you, in verse 31, when Jesus says, remember he starts as he says, furthermore, right, it has been said. What's he referring to? He's referring back to the law again, right? The disciples knew this. They understood. He's not referring to the Ten Commandments now necessarily. He's actually referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now, it's kind of based on the Seventh Commandment, but it's not about the, it's about Deuteronomy chapter. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 24 verse 1 says something kind of similar to what Jesus said because Jesus kind of quotes the Old Testament law. And he says, when a man takes a wife and marries her and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, he puts it in her hand and sends her out of his home. How many of you would say that sounds a little confusing? It's like, hmm. By the time, look, the disciples knew this. The religious leaders probably had this memorized. By the time the disciples knew this verse, it had been so perverted, especially by Jewish men, that they were putting away their wives for every reason imaginable. Every reason under the sun. And it was confusing to the disciples in light of what Jesus was saying. And, and you can, I can prove that. You can see it in Matthew chapter 19 because they bring it back up. And they say, so again, Jesus, is it, is it right for a man to leave his wife for just any old reason? And so he, he's kind of already discussed this, but they bring it up again in Matthew 19. The confusion of it. And really the confusion, If let's just keep that verse up for just a minute. Uh, yeah, Deuteronomy, yeah. The confusion really comes under the word uncleanness, right? She hasn't found favor in his eyes. Why? Because he has found uncleanness in her. And those of you, you know, we went through the Old Testament last year. The word uncleanness can mean a lot of different things under Old Testament law. So in the Old Testament, there was a lot of things, guys. If you were a leper, if you had a skin disease, you were unclean, right? If you touched someone or even went in the room with somebody, you had a disease. You were generally considered unclean. If you, if you, um, went, in, uh, uh, if you went into the room, much less touched somebody or, or a body or even an animal that was dead, you were considered unclean. Much more on a personal level. Every month, a woman during her cycle was considered unclean. Even a married couple who had relations was considered unclean. There were a lot of things in the Old Testament that deemed you unclean. But that meant you had to go through purification rites in order to be accepted back into society. 
was it when we were in Israel a couple years ago, we saw outside the temple the what, what, what do they call the, the ritual baths? The uh, mikvah? Mikvahs, I believe it was called. Where they would go, and it, it, similar to what we do in baptism, to become clean. Okay? So, this uncleanness, they had stretched this to mean everything imaginable. So when it says he can divorce his wife because he has found some uncleanness in her, the word unclean had been stretched to cover anything and everything termed unclean under the New Testament in addition to anything that the priests had added to the law. And remember we talked about that last year too, about how God gave all these laws and then the priest came under and said, well, that means this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And, this. and it all became about the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. So Jesus has to clarify things. Because, like I say, they were trying to abide by the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law. Why? To get what they want. They were tired of their wife and they wanted to trade her in for a newer, younger model. So they found a reason. They found a priest to agree with them. Right? So Jesus clarifies things. And he says, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. Now, this is interesting. This is what Jesus said in the, great, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Whoever divorces his wife for any reason but sexual immorality has committed adultery. Isn't adultery sexual immorality? But he separates them. I think partially he didn't want to cause confusion because he just defined what adultery was and he made it broad, right? I believe sexual immorality more uh, was an expression of the outward manifestation of sin. And the adultery he was talking about again was back at the inward, back at the heart. Talking about a state of the heart or the spirit. And I don't have time to go any further with that. It's not what we're really talking about. But I, I, I will say this. The word, when Jesus said sexual immorality, it was the Greek word. We've talked about that before, the Greek word pornea, uh, which basically, basically includes any uh, form of sexual activity that's not within the bounds of marriage covenant. Now, guys, I don't encourage anybody to run into divorce even if there's been unfaithfulness. I, I don't. Yes, you may need to separate. And yes, you need to seek God. And yes, you need to, sign, you need to get godly counsel. If you can, get help. If you can, work toward repentance and restoration and reconciliation. I have the utmost respect for Christian couples who have worked through this. And let me tell you, it was not a quick thing. It took years and years and years of faithfulness and commitment and work to get through that. Some of you may have been there. I respect that. But I wouldn't, but look, I, I know of many cases where the other spouse doesn't want it. If they're doing it again and again, no, they don't want it. And I would never make somebody feel guilty. I would never bring condemnation to somebody for leaving their spouse over sexual immorality, okay? And actually, biblically, the case can really be made in abusive situations as well. But I don't even encourage somebody to run immediately and sign divorce papers the day that there's some kind of a, a, you know abusive situation or something that happens. Yes, you need to get out. You need to get safe, right? It doesn't mean your first stop needs to be at the law office. Get out and get safe and get godly counsel and seek God. And allow the Lord to do what he wants.
not what you feel in a moment in brokenness and in anger. Again, I would never bring condemnation. I would never tell somebody they were in sin for leaving their spouse over a truly abusive situation, okay? Why do I encourage folks to see things through, to see the covenant through? Because it's a covenant, guys. We don't understand what a covenant is today. By the way, it's being left out of a lot of marriage ceremonies, but most of us said for better or for worse. What did you think for worse meant? Seriously. Marriage is a covenant between you and your spouse and God. And it was never meant to be separated. Never. And with that, I've heard people say, amen, brother, amen to that. God doesn't recognize divorce. Oh, yes, he does. Yes, he does. He does not like it. Malachi tells Malachi 2.16, for I hate divorce. I don't, dis- it's not, I don't it's not dislike it. Doesn't bo- it's not like, oh, it bothers me. No, he says, I hate it. There's, there's passion in it. God hates it, right? But remember Matthew 19, when the disciples asked Jesus again, can, can you just put away your spouse for any, any old reason? And basically, um, you know, Jesus begins to answer them. And this is where we get it, what you hear in marriage ceremonies. How does he respond? They said, can you put away your spouse for any old reason? Jesus says, what God has brought together, let no man separate, right? Well, that sounds like a no, <laughs> doesn't it? And so they come back and they reply and they say, well, why then does the law of Moses allow a spouse to give their spouse a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus responds in Matthew 19. He says, why? Because of the hardness of your heart. Everybody say inward sin. Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. From the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, now look at this, because this is almost word for word what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, but it's worded slightly differently. Look at this. Whoever divorces his wife except for her sexual immorality and marries another, it's talking about him, he marries another, he commits adultery. <laughs> There's a lot here, guys. <laughs> they're, they're, I'm, I'm telling you, I cut four pages, promise. <laughs> I, I, I want to be... I want to be clear for a minute, okay? Because this is going to open up questions that partially we don't have time for, but let me say a few things. Guys, divorce is always the result of sin. Can we say amen? amen. And it's destructive, it is, it was never God's will for there to be divorce in your life. And it always happens because of the hardness and the self-centeredness of the human heart, usually on part of one or both spouses. Amen? Guys, it's Jesus. Come on. Isn't it true? I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but guys, I know many of you here would agree with me. I hate divorce. That's bad stuff. Statistically, probably almost half of us in this room have dealt with that or been the victim of it, 
or grown up in it or whatever it may be. It makes a lasting impact on your life, doesn't it? It makes a lasting impact on your ex's life. It makes a lasting impact on your children, and I promise your grandchildren, it does. And even your future family, if you ever remarry. And as somebody who can relate, my heart goes out to every child that is the victim of divorce. Because they don't understand. And they will come to the place, especially as younger kids, where they wonder, did I play a part in that? Am I part of the reason that mom and dad divorced? We've talked to kids before who don't understand why their mom or dad is wanting to remarry. They feel like that attention that they deserve is being put out on somebody else. They, they, don't, they don't get it. And it skews their view. And guys, all the stats, secular stats, not Christian, secular stats, say that a child that's a victim of a divorce has 50% greater chance of going through divorce as an adult just because mom and dad did. In the natural, their marriage chances, their success, the chances of successful marriage just cut in half, right? I believe that most marriages in the church of Jesus are not justified today. Most divorces, I'm sorry. Most divorces are not justified. I don't believe they line up with the biblical standard. I believe that, as Jesus said, it's because of the selfishness of our heart, the hardness of the human heart, and it is destructive. And I'll just be real transparent with you guys for a minute. I'm hesitating now every time somebody asks me to marry them. Because I'm coming up on 46, and I've done quite a bit of marriages now, and I've seen many of them in a divorce now. Here's my struggle in my heart and mind. I was asked to bring them before God and make a covenant. It's hard not to question sometimes, did I fail them? Did I prepare them? I know it's not my fault. I know it's not. But it's hard not to think that, isn't it? I, I did a lot of weddings for folks. Oh, there's not time for marriage counseling beforehand. We'll do it afterwards. Never followed up, never pursued it. A lot of folks who just wanted to get married, had been living together, whatever else. Guys, I, I, I'm in a place where I'm struggling. Should I do weddings for people who are living in sin? I'm bringing them before God to make a covenant with him. They're the little kid at the table who's sitting there ashamed, who sinned against their parent. And I'm coming in to bring them to make a covenant before God. Yes, we want God to bless this marriage. No, you don't. You're not willing to do what it takes to make things right before you ever say your vows. You're not. It's tough. I believe the adultery Jesus is referring to in Matthew 5 I believe it's referring that when it comes to divorce, it's the, it's the ripping, the tearing away of two spirits and two hearts that God made one. Because those of you who have been there, you know it leaves scars. 
There are consequences. God hates divorce. I think Jesus makes the point here. And it starts in the heart. I believe it with all my heart, but there's something that I believe even more. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Y'all have been awfully quiet, but somebody should be saying amen to that. Especially those of you who have been through these situations and been forgiven. Jesus is teaching on the importance of the marriage covenant. But Jesus also teaches there's forgiveness for divorce. There's no condemnation for the truly repentant heart. If you humble yourself, repent, and do things his way, he will restore all you lost and more. No condemnation, right? No condemnation, guys. Many of you, many of you know my dad's story. He shared a little bit of it before. Y'all know my dad divorced a very, very long time ago. But he and my mom, Miss Ellen, they celebrated 42 years of marriage on Wednesday. That, my friends, is restoration. Only God does that kind of work. He does it within a humbled and surrendered heart. Amen? And by the way, I don't care what the stats say about me because I'm of a different kingdom. Right? I don't live under a curse. So those stats don't apply to me. And if you've been through that, especially when we're talking about divorce, those stats don't have to apply to your children either. But I would say this. Stop sinning. Get things right. Amen? Check your heart. Be a godly example. Lead by example. Amen? You do things God's way. You can restore even your children and what was lost through divorce in their lives. Here's the question. Do you want God's best in your life? We're quick to say, oh, yes, yes, brother, amen, yes. Do you want God's best in your life? Examine not just your actions. Examine your heart. Jesus says what's on the inside is just important as what's on the outside. Are you doing what you want or are you doing what God wants? If you're doing what you want, you're out of fellowship. Doesn't mean you're not a son. Doesn't mean you're not a daughter. I didn't say you're going to hell. Okay? But you're out of fellowship and God cannot bless he can't bless you when you're out of fellowship with him. It goes back to the heart of the matter. Where is your heart? And remember, the point of all this is to deal with the inward sin before it becomes outward sin. Amen? It's the heart of the matter. 
Jumping from marriage to marriage is doing just what the Jews were doing. It's making a mockery of a covenant that God established. We've got to stop, examine our heart, and go, what is this? This has to end here. And we make things right. And we restore fellowship with God again. We've got to get it right. We've got to get our heart in order. Guys, we desperately need a Savior. <laughs> That's what it all comes down to. That's what it all comes down to in the Sermon on the Mount. We're all desperately in need of a Savior. And I am so thankful that he came through for us. Amen? So, the root of outward sin can always be found inward. And we must deal with inward sin before it becomes outward sin. Jesus had a way of cutting to the heart of the matter, didn't he? <laughs> he was good at it. I'll tell you what. It was never about the law, guys. It was about the spirit of the law. It was about the heart of the law. Jesus fulfilled the letter of the law. Amen? How many of you are thankful for God's grace and mercy in your life? Man, man. His grace abounds richly toward you, and it's available to you. The question is, what's the position of your heart? What is it that's on the inside that you're holding on to? Let's all stand up and bow our heads. Lord Jesus. Firstly, you may be here today and you may recognize that not only are you not in fellowship with Father, but you're not in relationship with Him. You're not a son. You're not a daughter. Being born into this world does not make you a son or daughter of God. It's when you stop and you repent of the way that you've lived your life. You realize that you are lost in your sin without a Savior, utterly bankrupt. You could never pay the debt that you owe. And you lay it all at the feet of Jesus, all of your sin and all of your guilt and all of your shame and all these things. You lay it at the feet of Jesus. And you say, Lord, I repent. And you ask him to be Lord of your life. And you make the decision that you're going to follow him till your dying breath and then on into eternity. With every head bowed, if you recognize you're not in relationship with Father God, the one who sent his son to pay the penalty for you, to take the judgment that you deserved. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus and you're here and you would say, I have to today. I implore you, don't wait another moment. that's you just lift your hand unashamedly come on guys lift your hand just begin to tell them say Jesus I need you I need you maybe you're watching online this morning or who knows when you're watching online but it doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit is still there right now wherever you may be wherever you may be listening from in any place in this world the Holy Spirit's there and he's tugging at your heart right now and he's saying let me in He's saying, surrender your heart. He's saying, don't wait another moment. That's you. The Bible says that we repent. That means we don't just say sorry, but we choose to turn from our old life. We choose to turn from our sin. Doesn't mean you won't ever mess it up again, but you're quick to come back and repent again and say, Father, I messed up. I ask you to forgive me. 
And he always does. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Doesn't mean life won't be hard sometimes. Of course it will. But you're going to have the creator of the universe walking with you hand in hand. And when you're down, he'll be there. And he'll be your strength. He'll be your encouragement. He will infuse life into you. You'll be wrapped in his love. If that's you, we're going to pray together. And if you mean it with all your heart, the Bible says you become a new creation. All that mess from your past, it's washed away. You're cleansed white as snow. You become a new creation because of Jesus. That's you. Just pray with us. Just say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I recognize that I am utterly lost in my sin. I recognize that I'm utterly bankrupt. But because of Jesus, because of the sacrifice he made, I can be free. So today, I repent of my sin. I repent of my old way of living. I turn from it. Jesus, I embrace you. I ask your forgiveness. Cleanse me white as snow, Lord. Be Lord of my life. I promise to follow you from this day forward. I'm not looking back. I'm yours. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me that I'll do everything you've called me to do and I'll be everything you called me to be. In Jesus' name, I follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, if you prayed that and you meant it with all your heart, it's the best thing that could ever happen in your life. Everything changed. Yes, it's a heaven and hell issue. But let me tell you, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it with all your heart, you're a member of the kingdom of God today. It doesn't start the moment you die. No, no. You're a son, you're a daughter today. The kingdom of heaven, as Jesus said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, is yours. With all its blessings and everything that God promised, it's yours. It's a new day for you. And the Bible says that every time somebody turns and repents and receives Jesus, even the heavens of angels rejoice. Wouldn't that be awesome to witness? No turning back. It's a new day. For the rest of us, guys, as I said a couple weeks ago, you may be here and you may feel like you've lost your saltiness. As Zach said earlier, we're called to stand out. We're called to be different, guys. Because of us, because we are the salt and the light of the earth, the flavor of God should saturate our workplace, and our school, and our family, and everybody that we encounter, because we're different. We're not of this world. As you may be like me, basically born and raised in the church, the problem is that sometimes we can get kind of lethargic 
and into a rut and a routine and even coming to church and even doing a daily devotional becomes something that we mark off a list and nothing more. Have you lost your saltiness? Have you lost your passion and zeal for God? Let me say this. If you have, I would firstly encourage you to go back and see what's on the inward. See what's on the inside. Jesus tells us to look at the heart of the matter. So pray and worship, but ask the Holy Spirit, say, examine my heart. Show me the places within that are holding me back. Show me those bad attitudes and those things that have hardened my heart. And here's the kicker, guys. Allow him to deal with it. Right? And things will begin to change. Go back to the heart of the matter. Amen? If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.